0: After two years of COVID-19 dominating the public health debate, another infection is now making international headlines. The monkeypox virus. My name is Lawrence Eidle, and I'll be your host today. The Africa Roundtable, a podcast by the Global Perspectives Initiative. Monkeypox is a viral zoonotic disease, meaning it spreads from animals to humans. Though it can travel between humans, Historically, it hasn't traveled far this way and wasn't considered to be very contagious. According to the WHO, in just May of this year, monkeypox was a disease that occurred primarily in tropical rainforest areas of Central and West Africa and was only occasionally exported to other regions. But now, things have changed. Less than three months later, and almost 20,000 cases of monkeypox have been documented in Europe, and more than 3,000 cases in Germany alone. Over 10,000 cases have been recorded in the USA. This is now the largest recorded monkeypox outbreak in history, and the WHO has declared it a public health emergency of international concern. With us today is a man who was described in a piece by NPR's Michaeline Duclef as the man who tried to warn the world about the spread of monkeypox, Professor Dimi Ogoina. Dimi is a medical doctor and lecturer at the Department of Internal Medicine at the Niger Delta University, as well as Chief Medical Director at the Niger Delta University Teaching Hospital. He is also the President of the Nigeria Infectious Disease Society. Dr. Ogoina, on behalf of the Global Perspectives Initiative, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dimi. Let's just start off with this question. Three years ago, you co-authored a study about the 2017 human monkeypox outbreak in Nigeria. What did you find there, and how did the public health community react to your findings?
1: Uh, So what we observed, essentially, a young, 11-year-old child came into a hospital, was referred from a private hospital to a hospital, suspected to be chickenpox, but it was unusual because the the, the child was not getting better in the private hospital, and was referred to the pediatrics department. So some of the younger colleagues in the pediatric department, one of them suspected monkeypox. I I am an adult physician, uh, but because I'm an infectious disease physician, I was called to uh, come and see the patient and uh, also to corroborate the suspicion. Uh, On seeing the patient, of course, at that time, I had not seen any case of uh, monkeypox in my practice, medical practice. I've only seen pictures in the internet and in medical textbooks, but it looked a bit typical. What was a little bit different was the size of the lesions. Lesions were very, very big, uh, but they were typical in terms of the appearance. And uh, so I also felt it was monkeypox.
0: Demi, in the weeks and months after meeting this boy, when did you first begin to think that monkeypox may become a bigger health situation than we've seen in the past?
1: I, I'm not sure if I considered it to be a very big problem at that point. What was very unusual was that uh, after that boy came in, I felt that we'll be seeing children with monkeypox because historically, if you look at the data in endemic countries, monkeypox is a condition that affects children less than 10 years or 11 years of age. And that index case sort of fits into that profile of cases that should be affected by monkeypox. But after that index, index case, the cases that we're having, the subsequent cases where young adults, most majority were males. Uh, So it felt very unusual to to me and my colleagues at that time. And uh, because most of them were young, sexually active males, and they had uh, concomitant uh, genital ulcers, and some even had HIV infection and also evidence of syphilis infection. That's what brought suspicion of uh, sexual transmission. But I had never anticipated that it would become a worldwide outbreak now that would be declared a public health emergency. Uh, But we also sounded the alarm to say that there's a potential for it to be transmitted via sexual contact and it's necessary for public health authorities. And that's what we said in that paper, to look at sexual contact as a a route of transmission of monkeypox. Uh, We had one other meeting, an international meeting in 2019 or so, uh, where I also put forward this view because I, I was very enthusiastic and passionate about the fact that I made this observation and there was need to also tell the story and I I stated this in that meeting and uh, somebody else then said no no it's not possible because my argument was that uh, it appears the outbreak is evolving epidemiologically initially it was a problem for children less than 11 years why are we seeing young adults now mostly males and why are they having genital ulcers there should be something there And and I then said I'm suspecting transmission via sexual contact. And uh, colleagues then said, some of the colleagues out there in that international media felt, no, it's not possible, and that um, that it is not unusual, that even in the DRC, there's, there appears to be a change, because DRC, as you know now, uh, the age group affected has also evolved from less than 11 years to 15 to 20-something years, and they felt that that evolution in terms of age is not unusual.
0: How are people talking about transmission in Nigeria? Is it widely accepted that this is a disease that is being transmitted through sexual contact? Or is there still some scepticism? The evidence available to the best of my knowledge at that time was
1: that the country was not too sure the source of transmission or the origin of monkeypox itself. Currently, I am aware that there's still uncertainty about how monkeypox is transmitted in Nigeria. And that's what I think. I think there's still uncertainty because nobody will come out to say it is predominantly transmitted via this route because we cannot accuse animal contact. Majority of the human monkeypox cases in Nigeria are amongst young adults. 70 percent of them are males. All of them, almost all of them live in urban and semi-urban settings. They are not within the traditional rainforest areas that we know monkeypox is, uh, is transmitted via animals. And majority of them have no contact with animals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that means that there are other factors that we have, perhaps we are not seeing or we are not necessarily looked at to determine how monkeypox is transmitted in, in the country. But just to say that I still believe that monkeypox is transmitted via sexual contact in Nigeria. Whether that, that, that is the predominant mode of transmission is what I don't know. But to date, I know I've seen cases that suggest that uh, monkeypox is transmitted via sexual contact.
0: Let's talk about the demographics that are being affected. In Europe and in America, statistically, cases of monkeypox are disproportionately affecting gay and bisexual men. Is there any indication that this demographic is also being affected in Nigeria? Or with the legal situation in Nigeria, are gay and bisexual men even comfortable coming forward I'm not too
1: sure whether it is because the if the gay and bisexual men in Nigeria are not able to come out to the open to speak about it or to declare their sexual orientation I don't think that's a challenge. Fortunately the country has a process where through HIV AIDS services they provide care to key populations uh, key populations include commercial sex workers um, gay and bisexual men people who use drugs. People that stay in prison settings and the likes. And the idea is to see that they have access to preventive services, STI preventive services, HIV uh, preventive services, and also treatment. Uh, So it's a very organized setup in Nigeria. And I've always said that if there is active transmission of monkeypox amongst the key population, if there's active, there could be underground, I don't know. But if there's active transmission, I believe we should have known by now. I believe we should, have, we should have known by now. But also to say that the cases we saw in 2017, 2018, none of them self-declared as being gay or bisexual men. As a matter of fact, when we asked for their sexual partners, what they declared was sexual partners of the opposite sex, not of the same sex. Although I admit we did not directly ask them for their sexual orientation, we did not directly ask them that question, but it, it will be implied because if they, if they admitted that their sexual partners were the opposite sex, that the implication is that they are not uh, likely to be gay or bisexual men.
0: In Nigeria, what are the barriers that may exist that prevent people with monkeypox from receiving treatment? I think
1: there are a number of people that would have monkeypox that are not coming to the hospital setting or coming to the public system for diagnosis. So I've said it this before, and i say it again. I think the number of cases we have in our country is uh, underestimated. And uh, it's underestimated because of the nature of the health system, the nature of health-seeking behavior, the perception of disease, and challenges of surveillance. So there are multiple factors uh, that is responsible for this. And I can give a typical example even from my own setting, and colleagues have also discussed with me, One of the cases, for instance, a colleague called me to say they are are referring a case of monkeypox to my hospital. And in transit, the patient was missing. And when we called the patient, they said that he cannot have monkeypox, that this is a spiritual attack, so he cannot come to the hospital. And there are situations where people don't want to come to the hospital because they don't have the resources, or they don't come to the hospital because of distance. Uh, So there are many factors, and also health-seeking behavior, and that means that there's a need for more enhanced and active surveillance in our country. I know the NCDC is doing a lot uh, to see how uh, that this is achieved, but the healthcare system in Nigeria is uh, decentralized. And uh, so there's so much the Nigerian Center of Disease Control can do without the support of the various states uh, to see that uh, there is uh, surveillance within a space of two or two months. We're having triple the number that we had in four months. And that tells you that we had cases that are there were not diagnosed because what, what this the, the declaration of a public health emergency and the, glo- the outbreak in global north has caused is that it has made clinicians small, clinical suspicion has increased, awareness has increased. Even amongst the patients now, when they have lesions, they want to be sure it's monkeypox. And uh, so they have a tendency of also presenting to the health system. Then clinicians, when they see patients, that they wouldn't have suspected monkeypox. They now suspect monkeypox and they, they do a referral. And that's why we're seeing uptick number of cases in Nigeria. Last week alone, last week, there are 25 cases of monkeypox reported across Nigeria, which is unprecedented in a week. That's
0: what we reported in four months. Dimi, in comparison to COVID-19, these are relatively small numbers that could create the perception that this infection isn't a threat or a risk. Perhaps you could explain just briefly why it's so important for people with suspected cases of monkeypox to get treatment.
1: This is what it means. And I've argued that monkeypox was never endemic in West Africa. That's my argument. Because we've seen the literature, because recently I looked at the literature and the literature has always been saying monkeypox has been endemic in West Africa from the 70s. Uh, But in Nigeria, for instance, from 1971 to 1978, we had just three cases of monkeypox. Three cases. Three cases is not sufficient to say that a disease is endemic in a country. It is possible cases are there were not detected. But if we're using the case counts to define endemicity, it means that we can't say that monkeypox. The same thing applies for Liberia, Sierra Leone, and other West African countries. Perhaps the only country that we could confidently say that monkeypox is endemic is in the DRC because they have thousands of cases every year. And they have been doing, I'm reporting these cases from the 1970s onward. So the point I'm trying to make here is that we will need to identify all the cases, do a contact tracing, isolate, treat. That way we reduce propag- propagation of the of the outbreak and the establishment of the infection in the
0: community, in the country. Okay, let's talk about prevention, response, and more specifically, vaccines. There's a vaccine that is available currently in Germany. Actually, I read today that the UK has just vaccinated 25,000 people from at-risk groups. The US has allowed millions of vaccine doses to expire. What's the situation like in Nigeria?
1: Yeah, so I'm not aware that a uh, country Nigeria has received any uh, monkeypox vaccine. And I'm aware that the Nigerian Centre for Disease Control is uh, working with the WHO to see how the vaccines and therapeutics can be made available to our country. But uh, I'm not aware, so this is not an official position, but I think the official position can come from the Nigerian Centre for Disease Control, but I'm actually not aware. And uh, most of the colleagues I have across the country have not seen or received therapeutics or vaccines to care for their patients.
0: Why haven't your medical colleagues received the vaccines they need to take care of their patients? It's reflective of so many things. There's always a delay
1: in having some of these medical countermeasures written out based coming to Africa, there's always a delay. And that's because we have suffered challenges of inequity over time, and it, it didn't start today. And we have also suffered challenges of neglect. I always tell people that monkeypox has been with us for 50 years, and yet we have not necessarily defined the reservoir of the infection. We have not tried. For 50 years, we have not done clinical efficacy effectiveness trials for any vaccine or for any therapeutics, because what is currently available is, was on account of smallpox, not monkeypox, and there, there have been no published clinical trials on monkeypox for some of these therapeutics or even the vaccines. And this has not happened because it's a neglected disease that has affected countries in developing countries of Africa, West Africa and Central Africa. And so people, scientists, health authorities did not necessarily pay attention to, to the outbreak. And because of resources are available in the global north, they have the capacity to manufacturing capacity, financial capacity, human resource capacity to ensure that these vaccines and therapeutics are available. And I'm aware that some countries are complaining that they don't have sufficient quantities even for their own population. Uh, not to talk of making it available to Africa. But I think we need to look deeply at what we are doing and not be greedy, uh, because as much as possible, it doesn't sound right that a problem that started in Africa, and we are still battling with this problem, and it has appeared in the global north. For 50 years, we did not have any vaccine or therapeutics, and they are now available, And this is three, about one month after it was declared a public health emergency or so, we still do not have vaccines and therapeutics. I think we need to have a rethink. And uh, amongst all the stakeholders, we we just need to have a rethink.
0: At GPI, we work at the intersection of African and European politics, specifically German politics. If you could have a direct line of conversation to decision makers in Europe and Germany about vaccines, what would your message to them be? I think the message is very
1: clear that uh, Uh, Infectious pathogens, once again, have no borders. Whatever we're doing in the global north to contain the outbreak, either using therapeutics or vaccines, if we don't address the problem at the source, which is Africa, there will be a vicious cycle. It will come back to haunt us. So we should recognize that it's a global village. And the issue of vaccine nationalism, therapeutics nationalism, we should have a rethink because the global village, whatever affects a country may have a ripple effect to other countries. So whatever interventions we are currently rolling out to address the challenge of monkeypox, we should do it in such a way that African countries are also carried along because if we don't do that, we are setting ourselves in a vicious cycle where this outbreak will certainly come back to Europe.
0: COVID-19 has drastically changed the attention to global health, highlighting the need for global cooperation. With regard to vaccines, do you see this as a new dawn for cooperation or are you less optimistic? Yeah, so I
1: think there are a lot of lessons from COVID-19 and I think we need to take our destiny into our hands. That's, I'm talking about African countries. I think that's a priority. Uh, it's not appropriate to always be waiting for handouts from uh, the global north or from developed countries, uh, we must as much as possible invest in ourselves, in our health systems, so that we have the capacity and what is required to also produce vaccines and uh, produce therapeutics. Of course, it has to be a journey because there, there are a lot of resource gaps. But the idea of always waiting for the Western world to assist us in Africa is something that we also have to have a rethink. And about this, and I think it's something that we need to start immediately. Whatever we need to do, we don't know what will happen in the next five years. The new outbreak that will occur in the next five years, next 10 years, are we still going to be dependent on the Western world for vaccines and therapeutics? So that, that's the bottom line. Secondly, too, we, we must address internal issues. It's not only, about, I've told people to, it's not only about making COVID, I mean, monkeypox vaccines available. And we have typical examples of the COVID-19 vaccines. There were issues of inequity. It took a long time before COVID-19 vaccines came to Africa. In Nigeria, for instance, we have COVID-19 vaccines. They are available for people to get their job. But currently, less than 30% of Nigerians have received a COVID-19 vaccine. And that tells you there are other problems about, apart from availability of vaccines, issues of vaccine hesitancy. And I can tell you a substantial number of these people that have not been vaccinated are even healthcare workers. They're healthcare workers. So this challenge of vaccine hesitancy and perception of disease is a challenge. And and this is why I say that in our core desire to have vaccines available, especially vaccines, monkeypox vaccines available, we should ensure that we do a readiness assessment. We should ensure that we start to address misconceptions We should ensure that we create awareness about the vaccines. We should ensure that we start creating buy-in for the vaccines. Because if the vaccines are brought now and we don't address all those issues, we will have vaccine hesitancy. And
0: ultimately, we will not achieve what we have set set out for ourselves. Do you feel it's possible for Nigeria to apply this combination of behavioural change work and vaccine scale-up in the same way that it's combined in Europe, for example?
1: I asked this question in a meeting, are we communicating the uncertainties in the efficacy and effectiveness of vaccines to the people that are being vaccinated? Because there are so many uncertainties about this uh, monkeypox vaccine. We don't know the duration of protection. We don't even know whether it offers good protection. That's the truth, because it's just by extrapolation, because there have been no clinical efficacy trials and so uh, it is important that while we are giving out these vaccines we communicate uncertainties we don't want a situation where where somebody has been vaccinated you feel they are protected then uh, two months three, three months down the line you are developing monkeypox again and that would mean that there is there will be a breach in the trust in the public health system if we don't communicate that uncertainties the other aspect is the behavioral change i think that's very 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 important and we should go beyond recommendations or policy statements or advisories. We should develop interventions to address behavior. During COVID-19, if I go to the literature, for instance, during COVID-19, the first three months of COVID-19, you'll see several publications on interventions to address behavior change in COVID-19, non-pharmaceutical behavioral interventions and the likes. But in monkeypox, if you go to the literature, I'm not sure I've seen any. I'm not sure I might be I might be wrong. And what that means is that when they're getting that aspect and it's not just to bring out policy statements or recommendations, they are they who must implement interventions to see that behavior changes. And the behavior that ought to change is the iic sexual behavior that is driving this process. And so there's need to implement uh, interventions amongst the most affected group to see that this changes. Otherwise, if we don't do it concurrently, uh, then it's like somebody said: "It's like we are neglecting the leaking roof. Why mopping the floor?" And that that, that is that is completely uh, not it's not appropriate.
0: I'm bringing this back full circle. How do you target monkeypox in Nigeria specifically? For Nigeria, it becomes difficult to know what what to recommend because even if
1: vaccines come to Nigeria. I know NCDC is trying to see how stakeholders can come to see how we can uh, necessarily um, the approach to vaccination. But, but the challenge is much easier in the global. north. you have any identify the high risk group. You know those people are affected mostly men who have sex with men. Very definite. So you know the the group that is most affected is at risk of monkeypox. So if you are rolling out a pre vaccination post vaccination campaign, you know the group to target. But if you come to Nigeria, for instance, who are the groups to target if you want to do a pre-exposure vaccination? Is it healthcare workers? Okay, if you are going to do for contacts of patients. The other challenge we have, too, with the ring vaccination is getting contacts, especially sexual contacts. And that's a problem that even the global north is facing. And that's why some countries have decided to do pre-exposure vaccination instead of post-exposure. Because that's been very difficult to get contacts of, especially sexual contacts. So I, I think we would necessarily need to understand the outbreak in Africa much more, especially in West Africa. Because I'm not sure we understand the outbreak to a level where we can benefit from all the interventions that should be available. Because if we don't know the source, we don't know the main mode of transmission of monkeypox in our country. And we still have cases that are not being reported. It means... We are more or less working blindly. We need to step up our effort to see that we are able to detect more cases and uh, be able to do more
0: research to understand the disease. As a scientist, do you feel listened to in the global north? And what needs to change to ensure that good quality research coming from the global south is prioritised?
1: Yeah, so I, I think it's recognize that good science can come from any, anywhere. Scientists can live everywhere, anywhere. So as much as possible, wherever we work, we should not underplay findings, research findings from countries that are scientists that, I, that live within developing countries. That they are living within developing countries does not mean they don't have ideas, does not mean they cannot put out important findings. I think I think that's what all of us need to recognize. And I think we African scientists, we should not just rest and wait for the global north to make discoveries for us uh, and to tell us, unfortunately, I don't know whether it's right to say this, unfortunately, in most cases, it may seem as if we're always waiting and we're not taking the initiative. Although we have challenges, there are a lot of challenges, but we have very bright people around, very innovative, and they have excellent ideas. I think we should tap into what we have and uh, come together to see that we we tell our story to the world. And gradually, gradually, the world will listen to us. The world is listening to us now indirectly because it's affected the global north. I'm not sure if you would have called me for this interview if it was 2017. I'm not sure if you would have called me for this interview. But you have called me for this interview now because it's a problem, it's an international problem. And there's a need to get the perspective from Africa about it. So I, I think we need to tell our stories more and we should not be discouraged.
0: Brilliant. That was great, Dimi. On behalf of the Global Perspectives Initiative, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting
0: me. Joining us today was Dr. Dimi Agoina, medical doctor and lecturer at the Department of Internal Medicine at the Niger Delta University. The Africa Roundtable a podcast by the Global Perspectives Initiative. More topics and discussions are available on the GPI website and in the newsletter. And all of this information can be found at globalperspectives.org. A special thanks today to podcast producers, Corinna Roberts and Hannah Hulcher. I've been Lawrence Eibel, and on behalf of the Global Perspectives Initiative, thank you for listening.